Good morning. My name is Clara. I'm the other Clara. And I'm going to be sharing this morning. So, uh, so I want to start with the question. In the last 2,000 years, if you had to determine what is the greatest contribution that Christianity has given to the well-being of society, what would you say that was? Jesus. Okay, that's good. I like that. Okay, maybe some of you thought about maybe health care. Yeah, like hospitals and um, relief centers and all that kind of stuff because, you know, those were primarily initially just Christian-based organizations. Now, you might think about um, the benefit that Christianity has brought to education, you know, increasing literacy throughout the world. Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, those universities were originally based with a Christian purpose to evangelize. Christianity was contributed a lot to the arts, music, literature, definitely to uh, movements like the civil rights movement, humanitarian reforms for women and children. There's been a lot that the Christian movement has done, our faith has done. But if I had to narrow it down to one um, contribution, to to me, in my mind, is the greatest one that we have given to society, to the well-being of society, for me would be reconciliation, forgiveness. And not just the legal forgiveness, but the kind that restores relationships and emotions. Reconciliation was what Jesus taught us to do, modeled us to do, and then empowered us to do. Remember when he said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then on the cross he said, Father, Daddy, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then after he resurrected, he told his disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. But do you ever wonder how far we push this forgiveness business? How far do we go with forgiveness? In this world, there are a lot of horrible things that happen to people. Children are murdered. Women are raped. The elderly are abused. Close friends become unfaithful to one another. In the real world, there are broken bodies, broken minds, broken psyches, broken relationships. Millions of relationships are destroyed and need reconciliation. So how far do we push forgiveness and be able to say enough? Enough is enough. In history, one of the most horrific events that has occurred is the Holocaust. And Simon Weisenthal, author of the book, The Sunflower on the Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness. Now, he was a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust in 1943, um, he was in a concentration camp, and he was summoned to the bedside of a, a dying Nazi special service officer. When he got there, the officer, his name was Carl, he was 21 years old, and he was dying. And he asked the nurse to find a Jewish prisoner. He wasn't even sure if there were any Jews left, because he wanted to be, forgive, beg for forgiveness for the atrocities that he had committed against the Jewish people. So... SS officers are those that have been schooled in um, brutal treatment of people. They, hardened, they taught them how to harden their hearts to human suffering. And they were radically um, prejudiced and full of hatred. So Weisenthal enters into this small room where there's this soldier on the table, and he's, his face is completely covered with bandages, and there's only one hole from which he can speak and which he can breathe. And this is what Carl tells Weisenthal. My parents were not supporter of the Nazi party. In fact, I was raised in the Christian church. But as a youth, I got involved with Hitler Youth. 
and then I became a young soldier, and then I was promoted and trained to be an SS officer. Then he confessed many things, but one of the stories that stands out predominantly is the one where he said he remembers going into a town and they gathered all the Jews, there were about 300 Jews, men, women, children, babies, elderly, and they herded them all into a three-story house. They boarded the house up, and then they set it on fire. And they burned those 300 people alive. And anybody who tried to escape, they shot. And he remembers a mother jumping out of a window, holding her baby, and shooting them both. And he said to Simon Weisenthal, I know the things I'm telling you are terrible, but I'm dying. And I want to confess to a Jew. And I cannot die in peace unless you forgive me. So Simon listened quietly to his confession and just walked out of that room without saying a word. So Simon Weisenthal was one of 26 people who survived that particular concentration camp. They estimated anywhere from 49 to 69,000 people went through that camp and perished. But he was one of the survivors. And after the war, he wrote the book Sunflower. And in that book, he is talking about moral ethics of forgiveness. And the second half of the book is about the response to this question. Should I have forgiven that soldier? Fifty-three people responded. And of the respondents, there were journalists, historians, political leaders. There were uh, ex-Nazis. There were Holocaust survivors, psychiatrists, human, human rights activists. And this was the response. 50, out of the 53, 28 said, no, you should not have forgiven him. Nine said, I don't know. And 16 said, yes. Of the 16, 13 were Christians, 3 were Jews. So how far do we push this Christian theme of forgiveness before we say enough? Can we offer reconciliation in a dog-eat-dog world? Now, we're in a series called The Good and Beautiful Community, and our teaching team has been discussing what makes us a beautiful, good community. We are peculiar. We are a people of hope. We are a people who serve. We are a people who have Christ as the center of all that we do. And today I want to introduce us to another part of our good and beautiful community. We are a people who are reconciled. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come more and convince us, Lord, of how much you love us. And I pray, Lord, that you will protect us from hardening our heart from your invitation this morning to your word. Father, you would do a deeper work, a deeper work of reconciliation. And Father, for those who are disconnected from you and have never experienced your forgiveness, your love, I pray that you would prepare them, Father, for your coming and for your encounter. And Holy Spirit, fill me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 18 from Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can look it up. It'll be good to see some of the context of the verses that I'm going to be sharing But let's look at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 
Now, in the context, Jesus had just finished talking about how we have the power to loosen and to bind through forgiveness those here on earth. And Peter's like, okay, I need to make this practical. I'm a practical guy, and I need to figure this out, Jesus. So he comes with this question. So how often do I push this forgiveness thing, Jesus? How often should I forgive? Seven times? And Peter expected Jesus to say, wow, you are really generous, Peter. And you know, Peter, the number seven is a very divine number, right? You have really gotten it. Good job. Now, for us, the question that we might pose may sound a little bit more like this. How often do I forgive my teenager for lying? How often do I forgive my spouse for being insensitive? How often do I forgive my mom for putting me down? And really, Peter's asking the question that we probably have asked. Ten? Seven? Thirteen? How many times? The problem with counting is that we are counting. We are keeping score. And that religious tendency in us wants to know when enough is enough, when I can now begin to express some kind of revenge. Jesus is not really impressed with Peter's response. So in verse 22, he says, you know, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, some commentators said that Jesus was probably quoting an Old Testament passage from Genesis chapter 4. It was about Lamech, and this is what that says. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, I guess he had two of them, Hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me. I have killed a man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. Lamech's way of doing life was escalating, retaliating, revenging with violence, and not just getting even, but increasing in violence as he went. So someone says something that hurts you. So you send them back a mean email. And so then they blog or they post on Facebook some ugly lie about you, and then you go back and you punch them in the face. Okay? That's how it goes, on and on and on. But Jesus wants to introduce his followers to a new way. Let me show you another way, the way of the kingdom. Now, it is peculiar, and people might call you a pansy, but this is the way. It's full of hope. It's full of beauty. It's the way to life. But Peter, can you imagine the possibility of responding in a different way than revenge? Can you imagine living in a world where you know how to reconcile one another My kingdom is entirely new. It's full of hope. It's full of love and service and generosity and encouragement. It's marked by forgiveness and mercy. Do you have the imagination for that? My way of dealing with sin includes atonement, forgiveness, not revenge. Dealing with sin my way produces reconciliation. So how do we do this? Not long ago, I was meeting with a young man, and he was telling me about a trouble he was having with forgiving a friend of his. Okay, He doesn't hang around with him anymore, but his name comes up. And whenever the name comes up, he feels angry and bitter, and he's you know, saying, you know, I've already confessed to the elders about my anger, but I'm still struggling with this. What am I to do? In the book, You Are Not Your Brain, 
the four-step solution for changing bad habits, ending unhealthy thinking, and taking control of your life. I'm just hoping that it comes with a guarantee. Don't you? Dr. Schwartz, research and psychiatrist, describes the power of attention. And for those of us who are in spiritual friendship groups or are practicing spiritual disciplines, like the 40-day fast that our church is in right now, what I'm about to say to you is really important because one of the things that we're trying to do through these disciplines is to pay attention to God. This is what Schwartz said. He's discovered that we repeatedly use our mind to focus our attention in positive and beneficial ways. The brain will rewire itself. By taking captive our thoughts and refocusing our attention to what is positive and true, our brain will produce new pathway neurologically. Anyone think of a passage that proves or this finding, scientific finding? Yeah, that one. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. So now one of the things that Schwartz did in his research, he took 20 people who had strokes, and they had lost the use of a limb. And what they did is they took the good limb, and they wrapped it up and immobilized it. For eight hours, every day for six weeks, they wrapped up that arm. And then they would tell the patient, okay, you see that apple on the table? Yeah, pick it up. Nothing. Try again. Nothing. That was a good sound. I'm assuming it was a child. (laughs) A nursing baby, maybe. Okay. So anyway, eight hours, six every day, six weeks. At the end of the six weeks, 80% of the stroke patients gained full use of their bad arm. And then they looked at the brain. And this is what they found. The brain had created new neural pathways around the damaged space of the brain. Wow. So when we are attentive to walking in forgiveness 70 times 7, Papa has wired our brain to recreate new pathways of thinking and of being. Wow. You know, he never asks us to do something that he has already figured out a way for us to be able to do it. The, no. I, I'm going to be there and I'm going to help rewire your brain. I've already put it in there, in the system, in your DNA. And so when Jesus tells us confidently in Matthew 5:44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who curse you. Church, we need to start using our brain and bless instead of curse. You know, when we come to church or we read the Bible, we hear a message and we say, you know, I've heard this before. Why doesn't she ever teach something I haven't heard before? But the problem is, is just because we heard it or read it, all that is is information. It's not until we live it out in the day-to-day process does it become wisdom and transformation. Information is not the same as transformation. It's not until we begin to act on it that we're going to see the benefit of it. I don't want a community that knows all about the truth. I want a people that live in the power of the truth. Okay, so how does that work in Christian life? We're going to go back to the young man who was having a hard time forgiving his friend. 
This was my pastoral recommendation to that person. Whenever his name comes up to your mind, pray a blessing. Whenever that memory comes up, pray a blessing. Every time, pray a blessing. You know that if you are being tormented by something demonic, it will give up his tactics. You'll wear them out. But if it's your own pattern of choosing, of nursing, cursing, rehearsing, then you have the ability to choose to stop and to do what Christ tells us to bless those who have harmed us. Your brain is literally able to create new pathways, stronger pathways, that will take over your old way of thinking and being. The choices we make with our mind to what we pay attention to is really important. And that is one of the reasons why we fast and pray. Because we're trying to put more attention on God than the normal way of life that we normally do. Well, you say, you know, I've already forgiven my dad, but I'm still struggling. You know, forgiveness is kind of like a lot of other things in life. There's levels. The hurt comes up over and over, and it feels like no traction, no progress. I'm not getting anywhere. I would say, you know, you probably have done some forgiveness, but God is inviting you to a deeper level. But I'm not God. I don't have unlimited forgiveness. How am I going to do this? So Jesus tells the story in that response, Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The service master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, the talent was a form of currency in ancient Rome. And it's impossible to really um, convert ancient currency into American dollars. But to get an idea of the magnitude of this debt, we have records that taxes due to the Galilean community for one year was 200 talents. Not per person, for the whole town. So that meant the whole town once a year had to come up with 200 talents to the Romans. And these were Romans who knew how to tax oppressed people. So when Jesus said 10,000 talents, it was equivalent to 50 years of taxes for one whole nation. The common workmen in those days could earn approximately one talent in 20 years. It would take a common workman 200,000 years of nonstop work to pay back this one bill. It is an inconceivable amount to have lent or to pay back. So when we talk about forgiveness, you know, we need to remember that Jesus not only teaches on forgiveness, but he is the only one philosopher in the history of mankind who consistently 100% practiced everything he preached. So in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The night when he was betrayed and Peter cuts off the ear of somebody who was trying to arrest Jesus, Jesus says, well done, Peter. 
in this world of dog-eat-dog, you did good. You need to be prepared to protect yourself and those you love. No, he tells Peter, put the sword away, you doofus. You still don't get it. Are you still living in the Lamech way? The way of payback and vengeance? It's not my way. Peter, do you have the imagination to think about responding in a different way? Can you see that I'm building a different kind of community than you have lived in? A community marked by forgiveness and love and mercy that is reconciled to me, reconciled to one another, and reconciles the world. At the cross under fire, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus in the crunch does not quote one of David's more vengeful psalms. Sick them, Jesus. Sick them, God. Look what they're doing to your son. Take their sons, then throw them, dash them across the rocks. No, he says, forgive them. Who is he talking to? The Roman soldiers, soldiers who are not just doing their decent duty as soldiers. These soldiers got their kicks out of molesting, brutalizing, stripping, abusing, killing, nailing our Jesus. Forgive them, Jesus says. Forgive who? The religious leaders, the hypocrites, the Sanhedrin, people who twisted the law and paid to have false witnesses against Jesus. Forgive who? People screaming, crucify him. Pontius Pilate, the ultimate political animal. The politician with no conviction. What's truth? Let's take a poll. What will work best for my political career? Forgive who? Forgive you and forgive me. And so what do we say back? I can forgive for a lot of things, Jesus, but that one thing, no way. I can't. What they did to my child, I can't. And Jesus says, I understand. No, no, you don't understand, Jesus. I have limits. No, he says, I understand. And I want to take you beyond your limits. I want to introduce you to a kingdom world that goes beyond your regular limit of living. I want to empower you. But to get there, you first have to receive and understand and experience God's reconciliation. Experiencing God's forgiveness and love will open our heart to be able to give reconciliation. So how do we do that? Get on your knees before God and start with yourself. Say to God, Papa, I'm opening my life to you right now. You see me. You know me. You know how I'm hiding from others. You see the sewer of my heart. You know what thoughts are going through my mind and attitude. Judgment, pride, self-pity, criticism, selfishness, bitterness, lust, greed, jealousy. On goes the list. Walk through your day with God. And walk the day before with God. And the day before and the day before. And guess what? Suddenly you realize you're in an ocean of forgiveness from God and he's asking you for a cup a puny little cup of you offering forgiveness for the wrong done to you so here's the question do we get forgiveness or are we like the first servant 
But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which equals about $2,000. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, the first servant did not understand forgiveness. He did not understand what was being offered to him. He still believed he needed to somehow pay back the master. And that's why he said, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Really? How long do you think you're going to live? Do you pay, plan on paying back 200,000 years of your salary? I mean, you look to me like you got another 15, maybe 10 years. Do you really get how much you owe me? He did not get the mercy of God. He did not get the level of sacrifice it was for Jesus to die on the cross and take his place. And at times, forgiveness is a problem for the church. We don't really get what God is offering us. Folks, we can never, ever, ever pay back God, ever. And he knows that. Reconciliation is like that. No strings attached. The cross covers not only my debt of 200,000 years of salary, but it covers the 2,000 debt that somebody owes you. So we, like the first servant, walk around acting like a judge, trying to get those who owe us something to somehow pay us back. And they're covered by the same mercy, mercy that covers us. Jesus invites us to be a people who are reconciled to him, and now he's given us the business of reconciling one another. He's handed us over the family business, the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians says, All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and has given the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. This is part of what the good and beautiful community does. Since the cross, God has stopped counting, and he's never looked back. He no longer deals with us with the basis of our sin, but the basis of our faith. So God helps us to re-narrate our own story in the context of his story. And he does it through the context of community. When we forgive one another, we accept one another, the community of God, we express forgiveness and the ministry of reconciliation. Now, every once in a while, I'll read a story or hear a story about someone who really gets it or a nation or a group of people that really gets it. So I want to relate this story. On October 2, 2006, Charles Roberts, not related to our beloved Jim Roberts, walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. He took to school that day a handgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, a rifle, six rounds of ammunition, cans of black powder, a stunt gun, and two knives. He murdered that day five little Amish girls, critically wounded five more, one who to this day is still paralyzed. And then he killed himself. Robert was married to a woman named Marie. 
He had three children of his own. He went to church, but he never dealt with his own pain. Nine years before this infamous day, his firstborn daughter died a premature death 20 minutes after she was born. His unresolved grief turned into bitterness and consumed all of his humanity. Charles felt someone had to pay for this, and since he couldn't get directly to God, he decided to kill little girls. Listen to the response of the Amish community. A grandfather, one of the murdered Amish girls, said of the killer on the day of the slaughter, We must not think evil of this man. You know, if that was my Isabel, I don't know if I could say that. A member of the Brethren community explained to CNN, I do not think there is anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. A member of the Roberts family shared how three hours after the shooting, an Amish neighbor came to comfort Marie to extend forgiveness for her husband's actions. Dozens of Amish neighbors attended Charles' funeral five days later, many of whom were the parents and close relatives of those murdered in order to comfort the Roberts family. Wow, do you know what's more beautiful in a community that can heal cancer? is a community that practices radical forgiveness, radical love. When we practice that kind of forgiveness as individuals and as a community, the world will step back and take notice to the power of God's love flowing to us, the good and beautiful community. So what happens if I don't forgive, Clara? Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And anger his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. When we do not walk in forgiveness and we choose to not be reconciled with people, Jesus tells us we will be permanently chained to that hurt from the past. We will have a crippled soul and we will react to life through that justice and that wounding. When we do not forgive, evil triumphs in our life and there is no victory. N.T. Wright said this, Forgiveness is like air in your lungs. If you don't excel forgiveness, you will not be able to inhale God's forgiveness. Worship team, will you come forward, please? And as soon as you guys are ready, just start playing your song. You know, if you listen to this message and you're wondering, gee whiz, I'm not really sure if I want to get prayer or not. I mean, I think I've forgiven that person, but I'm, I'm not sure. So I want to give you a little litmus test that I created on my own. You know, if you have a weed here, they're going to come up now, right? They're starting to come up in my yard. And we just hack it off. Temporarily, it looks taken care of. But it'll come right back unless we go to the root of it. So I want us to think about, Lord, is there a root? 
If I just hack this thing off, do you want to go deeper? So I want you to just close your eyes and ask him. Holy Spirit, just bring up any person or incident that needs attending to. If you're wondering if you're forgiven the person or not, do you secretly get happy when you hear the person is going through some misfortune? If you hear someone mention a name and you feel uck inside, I would say that probably the work isn't done yet. If you hear a bad report about what this person did to another person and you think, finally, somebody else understands what I've been experiencing, I would say there's still some bitterness. There's still some work to be done. And if you're still in that place of unforgiveness, get prayer today. Why continue to be tormented? Lay it out before Papa and tell him how this person has stolen from you your reputation, your virginity, your money, how the person has stolen your child's innocence, health, career, joy, name it. Name the consequences that you've been experiencing to Papa God, how you've been stolen from, and then shred up the debt with that person that you're praying with. Those who are trained and feel capable of going over to the cross, would you please head over there? And what we do here is we'll ask some folks who are well-trained to help and pray for y'all to be available there. And if you're comfortable with going over there and saying, you know what, I need to get some things taken care of tonight, today, then head over there. They're tender, they're kind, they're broken themselves nothing you're going to share that they probably haven't heard before or walked through themselves and maybe you're here and you've never been in in a reconciled position with God and you're thinking I don't even know what it's like to be forgiven by a God like that that has an ocean of forgiveness for me then go to these folks they will introduce you to our Jesus and let you begin to experience his forgiveness let's stand I just pray a prayer of benediction. You guys can start playing if you're ready. And when the song is done, you can go pick up your kids. If you need prayer, go over there. Then you get the maximum amount of time of getting prayer before you got to get your kids, right? Just go over there. If you're too shy, I mean, look at them. Everybody, just look at them. They have smiles on their faces, and they're beautiful people. I know their story. They have their own broken story, and they're being healed. They're good. They're good folks. Okay, may you be filled with the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you walk in the ocean of God's forgiveness. And may today you give up that puny little cup that he's inviting you to give up. And may you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of reconciliation that has been entrusted to you, church. In Jesus' name, amen.